0: This is Matt Brown, and you're listening to Just a Good Conversation. Education is a hot topic. Public versus private. Teachers versus administrators. Unions versus parents. So I called on my friend, Dr. Sarah Lepe, who has been at or dealt with all levels of education.
1: Things in education have changed. And so I also believe that, you know, the unions also have to get with the times, too, because there are a lot of things that may look like from the district end or administrators and that, you know, our hands are tied, which in fact they are. And it's not that, you know, you don't want to, you know, agree with the unions, but there are a lot of things when it comes to the way that the funding is, you know, what budget cuts have taken place and what the priorities are that people don't really understand.
0: I'm Matt Brown, host of Just a Good Conversation. Take a listen to all of our archives. My guests have ranged from Oscar winners, sports writers and Los Angeles Times photographer, Robert Latchman. The thing I enjoy the most about being retired is not having a schedule of when, if I need to take a day off to do something, I have to decide whether it's important enough to take a day off, those kinds of things, which I really enjoy. Uh, I miss the works. I don't miss the drive into work every day that's probably the biggest thing I, I don't miss the drive i miss the people people are pretty fine but i keep pretty busy i, I the days like go so fast i can't even i, I can't even believe it go to just for all the archives let's have a quick break for a sponsor before diving into my conversation with the good doctor sarah lepe good morning doctor how are you Doing great, Matt. How about you? I'm great. I love the fact that, A, I get to call you a doctor, (laughs) and you're my first returning
1: uh, guest. Am I really the first one? Yeah, my first one. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I had so much fun the first time when you sent the invite for the second opportunity. I had to jump on it.
0: Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I I, I had a great time the last one. I I found out all kinds of interesting things about... uh, wonderful uh, shoes that you had to have so you can jump higher and touch hallway (laughs) doors and all that good stuff. That's
1: right. That's right.
0: (laughs) But I wanted to have you on to talk about which is like in your blood between, I don't know, how many family members have touched the educational system in your life?
1: Quite a few, actually. Even starting with my grandma who lightly touched it as she was a crossing guard for the city, you know, helping the kids get to school each and every day. but. My grandma, my dad, my aunt, and then um, even cousins who have been in education too. Wow.
0: Yeah. So you're my go to. I wanted to talk about education because obviously it's a, it can be a third rail, a touchy situation. Um, It involves everybody all the time, right? Between either you're raising kids, you're going to send them to, you might be going. You know, you've gone through like every stage of education from preschool to a doctorate. So you right. you spent some time behind a <laughs> desk in a book, my god woman.
1: I did. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought I'd get out, but here I am. <laughs> well, it's
0: it's still early in the day. You might want to pick up maybe another program. I don't know.
1: <laughs> but I wanted
0: I, I wanted to talk to you about education. Awesome. Let's do it. All right. So we'll start off on the very simple thing. What makes a good teacher? What do you think?
1: You know, a good teacher is first and foremost there for the kids, putting the kids first. Um, As we all know, teachers' salaries, you know, are are nothing amounted to what their skill set is or what they do day in and day out. And if you go into education, you're going into it because, You're not looking for the paycheck. You're looking for a way to make a difference. And so a good teacher is going to know that their decisions that they make each and every day are going to be revolved around their students and advocating for their students, which is something that we've seen a lot here, you know, in in recent times. Um, Everybody feeling that, you know, there's equity for every kid that walks into the classroom. Every student has an opportunity to an education and meeting the needs of each and every student so for a teacher to be successful they also need to have lots of skills <laughs> not just not just teaching but being able to be a counselor and to be a, like a parent figure for for many kids learning how to time manage how to be part of a team how to come back to the table when you know, you have a lesson that in your mind and how you plan it out was perfect. And when you actually got to teach it to the kids, it didn't click or didn't stick, or there was some kind of like background information that was missing. So you have to reevaluate and say, you know what, they weren't quite ready for that piece yet. I need to go back and tap into this so that they'll understand this lesson more. So there's a lot of things involved. And I believe, you know, having the students there and using that every single day to drive you of what the students needs are is a way to be the most successful teacher as possible. And of course, lots of other things, but if I could narrow it down, I think that would be first and foremost are the kids. Now,
0: as a former athlete, you've heard this, right? Some people will say, or a lot of people will say, Oh, teachers don't make as much as like LeBron James or Tom Brady. Well, there's a difference when you're grading an athlete, right? Like LeBron has a due date. Like at some point it's going to come to the fact that he's not going to be as good or as valued to the organization or someone in the league and you get cut or you retire. Right. Tom Brady's in that, you know, all that happens. Right. But with you, that's so apples to oranges because people pay to be entertained by these guys or gals depending if it's the WNBA or lpga or tennis right so serena at some point venus is is soon at the end of her you know line of playing tennis people with teachers though and you see this and i'm sure you have as a principal or just being around teachers when you were one they hang on they don't get graded like teachers it's a longevity thing. Like you can come in and be a great teacher for the first couple of years, maybe like you were, but then there's somebody with 30 years of experience behind them. They don't get released. They don't get let go. They keep them. So there's this weird dynamic of when people say that, like, oh, why don't teachers make you know millions of dollars? They're teaching the, the future. Well, maybe maybe that would be okay if they were held to the same responsibility of being removed the bad apples from the cart? Cause I'm sure you've dealt with some bad apples on the cart.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, do you, do, where, where do you get to like then have the authority or how, what would it take to get, get and keep better teachers and remove the ones that are not doing the best job?
1: Well, I think the system that, that is in education is an old system. Um, you know, even for me coming in as a brand new teacher, um, on, when you look at the salary scale, brand new teachers make the least amount of money, even though it's the same job, it's the same amount of work. It's the same expectations as a teacher who's been in the game for 25, 30 years. And your skill sets might be better up to date because you've learned the newest, latest things, correct? Exactly. Exactly. And that's why, you know, like I, as an administrator, I always wanted to hone in on the new teachers because, you know, they have the most up-to-date skill set coming into the game. And not that they're, you know, the teachers who have been there for a long time, not that they don't either, but there are some that have kind of just, you know, they're, they're stuck in, you know, the way that they've always done things. And, I think part of it is that there's been so many different initiatives that come through education that those that have been in it for a long time, they get to the point where like, oh, this is just, you know, something else that they're, you know, they're going to want us to do and don't worry, you know, and I've, I've heard this from teachers, you know, I know that in a year or two, the district's not even going to do it anymore. So why am I even going to spend my time Uh, engaging in it and being part of it when I know that in a couple of years, it's going to be something else, another another hurdle that i'm going to have to jump into. So i think that's that's part of the problem. <laughs> so
0: so then, you know, and i'm going to use this analogy a lot right now when you and i talk, queen for a day. How would you be the queen for a day and change that? What would you wave your magic wand and be like, "Okay, this is the new system."
1: Well, i think part of it, you know, being i being on both sides, right? Because i was a classroom teacher and i was also a school principal and I know first and foremost, like our evaluation system that we use is not the most effective thing. And when you're looking at like a business plan or a business model, like you're, you're always wanting to have your employees or your workers, you know, be the best that they can be and also allow them opportunities to grow and to get better. And the system has kind of allowed it for it to kind of be cookie cutter, like, okay, this is the same routine. I know that, you know, the administrators coming in today I'm going to give it, you know, my, my, what people call the dog and pony show. Right. Cause they know that the admin is going to walk into the room. They're going to do their best lesson that they have. Right. And then they'll get their evaluation and then they go back to doing the way that they've always done things.
0: Yeah. Shut up, sit down. This is a class. Right. Right. (laughs) Right.
1: You know, when in fact it's like, if we could find a way where there are incentives, you know, and I know there's been talk, you know, for many years about like, you know, merit and, um, allowing for teachers who are performing well, you know, based off of student scores and things like that to actually have financial um, benefits, you know, because of it, it's like, there, there are not enough things in place for people to want to continue being creative and finding ways to grow unless, you know, that's the culture, right? Like if, if that's the culture of the school side, if that's the culture of the district, then everybody's going to have that same energy going. But if it's more of like the the top-down managerial type of environment, then I think a lot of people just get discouraged because at the end of the day, they're going to get their same paycheck no matter what. And it's going to be the same system that, you know, year after year doesn't change. And I think that's what has to happen is education is, you know, even from when I was a kid in school is very different. And even from now, you know, as I had just left being a school principal to when I first started even being a teacher or or being an administrator, things have changed tremendously. And uh, I think a lot of it has been shown, the light has been shown with the pandemic. When that hit, we had to think of things real quick on our feet. I mean, things that we should have been doing years and years ago, going digital, using more data to drive our instruction. And even the fact that do our kids really need to be in school for six plus hours a day? Or can we model like other countries do and really focus on, you know, like four hours, you know, hitting, hitting what they need and then the rest of the time, you know, having discovery and play and different things, life skills that a lot of kids in education come out even with the high school high school degree but they mm-hmm. still don't know how to cook a meal. They right. don't know how to do their laundry. They don't know how to financially plan for their future. You know, all these life skills that everybody needs.
0: Yeah. Oh God. My, my huge pet peeve with like the Cal State system is that you still have to take like one or two units of some physical, physical education, like badminton, PE, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Makes zero sense. That's just a moneymaker. But right. then you have to take... Now it's mandatory to take a women's studies program. Great. I am married. I got a mother. I totally get women's studies. If that's a thing, then you should make it mandatory that these kids should have a business class or an education in economics. Because absolutely, where where are you getting value from the women's study program if you don't understand what a 401k or investments do for you in the future? Like, you you can't always be massaging someone's back and then stealing out of their wallet for a PE class. Like that, that's not education. That's a business. Right. And yeah, that, absolutely. And, and that's jumping ahead, but okay. And, and I know we didn't really start with like the, the foundation of schools or what, what it really is. And it starts with the student, right? Cause the latest right. like, uh, scores from LA County is like 20% of the students only meet math and only 31% meet English. So does a lot of that start with the student at home, like pre-K, kindergarten, getting them, these kids, the foundation to understand what's going to be needed in school?
1: I definitely think, you know, the, the home, it does affect the students. You know, we have a lot of students who come to us who have, you know, many different things that, that happen at home, but having that structure and having that supporter, number one, Right, and that's, you taught, oh, and you taught in
0: a very bilingual area, correct? Correct.
1: Yes. Predominantly, um, English learner students and, you know, a lot, a lot of, um, the families, not necessarily the school site that I was at, um, just last, but, you know, I worked at different schools within the district as well, but, you know, we have a lot of, um, migrant families, you know, that come through, you know, work different seasons in the fields. And then also a lot of parents who are working two, three jobs, you know, just to make ends meet. And a lot of times it's the older siblings who are taking care of the kids. And, you know, we saw a lot of that again, during the pandemic, um, when some of these parents had to go to work and, you know, I had some older students at my school site that were, you know, jeopardizing their, their schooling because they were having to take care of the little kids. And, you know, that, that goes on if there's a pandemic or not, you know, we're just, we're, we're not seeing it as we did during that time because, you know, we're on zoom, we're seeing all these things that are going on, but it's difficult because these parents, as much as they would want to be there, for their kids, they're being forced to, you know, work all these different jobs just to make ends meet. And so that's difficult when you're thinking about even like a kid that's going into preschool or a kid that's going into kindergarten. If they don't have that, that structure at home, it's going to be very difficult when school starts to, you know, get accommodated to, you know, adult in the, in the classroom that is you know, showing them the way. And then also the socialization aspect of, being with other students and other kids and and what they're what they're seeing right now in the school size so if you think about it a lot of kids had not been physically in school for a year and a half that's brutal so there's a lot that's of so social oh. <laughs> social skills lots, lots of you know um, crisis management actually that they're going through right now too just because a lot of the students are still feeling you know the anxiety um, of coming to school right they they have been around family for the last year and a half, and even if there was a student, you know, during the during the pandemic, that when it first began, that was a kindergartner. Now that they're back in school, they're now in second grade. So that's that time between kindergarten and second grade is very crucial to establish norms, routines. This is how we do things at school, and now a lot of the teachers are having to. Reintroduce these basic skill sets that they should have learned when they were younger, but they didn't because of the timing.
0: The pandemic, like you said, really like ripped a bandaid off and exposed like serious issues of how old the system is, antiquated. Like we could just go on and on with all the words mm-hmm. of like what the system's broken and. Like you said, if you take a kindergartner now, you make him second grade, and he's completely missed first grade, and he's wearing a mask, and he can't like get visual cues from other sixth graders, which are or six year olds, which are massive. Like moving forward, right? Because you can only help those kids. It sucks, but like you, you got to try to like get little building blocks to get them back up. Yeah. Where do you start with a child? Like at home, you hope. It's a nuclear family with two parents, right? So they can bounce off like you do math and tomorrow I'll help with English and you take out the trash and do dishes. Like where at home can you help with building blocks for like a five-year-old to say when you're doing homework, no TV, no computer, I'll let you listen to classical music or something, but you can't like. Blair, Beyonce, or, you know, Van Halen for, you know, four hours, right? So like, what, what are the good building blocks to start with?
1: Yeah, I definitely think structure, you know, number one, kids thrive off of it. So even at the home front, um, building in different ways and different things. So if the routine, even if the kid's going to school, they know that when they come home, they have a snack and then for the first 30 minutes, you know, they work on any homework that they have and then it's playtime. So by allowing structure to happen, you're allowing kids to be set up for success because that's exactly how it is in the school site. Like everything is timed, everything is structured down to the minutes of everything that you know. Um, teachers implement the school site implements everything is very routine, and so with that, that also teaches kids time management, which is you know something that even adults <laughs> we we struggle with too. But starting with those foundations and, you know, letting them know that, you know, this is your structured time to do this. You will also be able to get play, but you have to make sure that, you know, you're doing the necessary things that you need to do. And on top of it, even when I was a teacher, I taught sixth grade. You know, there's a lot of people who have many different rooms and many different rules within their classroom. I had two rules. Be responsible and be polite those two rules will carry you through through life. If you're responsible, that means that you're using time management, you're using that structure, you're doing everything that you need to do. And also if you're being polite, you're being kind to people. And, you know, kindness is something that within the schools we try to teach, you know, very much with kids and let's be honest, even adults too. <laughs> like, you know, the 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 energy, the vibes that you put out there will be reciprocated. And so by teaching our kids to have kindness and to also figure out ways to to solve problems, because a lot of kids, you know, if they're not taught how to talk to people, how to resolve conflict, even, you know, at home or on the playground, that's when kids start to hit and they start to, you know, bite, pinch, whatever it is, because they're trying to express themselves, but they don't know how. They don't know how to use their words. They don't know how to have a skill set like that because they haven't been taught. So I think starting with that at home, that will take kids so far. They will be so far advanced because they have that background already. And then if it's being taught in the classroom, it's just being reinforced, you know, and they're already modeling that type of behavior that the teachers, educators, you know, administrators, everybody's looking for. How about
0: like okay, you always do your homework, you know, 30 minutes after you get home or, you know, or is it let them play for an hour and then do your homework or you always have to do it at the kitchen table. You can't do it in your room because I don't, you know, trust you not, you know, sitting there for four hours, staring off playing with Legos. Mm -hmm. Like where, where, and and obviously, you know, you're not a parent yet, so you don't have them, you know five rugrats running around at home, but you've had 30 rugrats in your class. So like, where do you think you saw those kids adapt better? Because those foundational building blocks were given to them early.
1: You know, what I found was when I modeled the behavior that I wanted, that's that's when I saw the success. Okay. So even if it was, you know, like if I, if I had the kids work on a project, like I wouldn't just be like back, like chilling, you know, sitting on my computer or my phone or anything like that. Like I'd be engaged too. I'd be either working on the project with them or working on things that I was creating or doing to show them that I'm also using this time wisely. So for, for parents, you know, if it's, if it's even reading to your child, you know, you're making that time for it. But if they're, independent readers already and you're, and you're telling them, okay, we need to, you know, read for our 15 to 20 minutes today, then sit alongside of them, pick up that book and read with them. model, that type of behavior that you want them to become even later on in life, right? Like to be a lifelong learner, they're, they're seeing their parents still reading. It's not just something you do in school, but it's something you do as a life skill.
0: Right. I, I remember someone early on being like, oh, you know, you've got to be good at you know, reading and math and history and all these things. And I still do believe that when I went to school, like in the seventies and eighties, nobody ever thought the phone, the, what we have now, that wasn't even thought of process. So now yeah. you can do like all these crazy math formulas on it. You know, it, the cliche, it has more power than what got you know the guys to the moon. Yeah. I would rather kids be great readers and okay at math because there's the ability to I guess cover your butt with a calculator or a computer or with a a phone what what it can do but reading is like forever if you can read you can read a contract and understand it you can take time and, and just read for yourself you can learn great literature you can do all kinds of things like am I off on that from a teacher parent standpoint, because, because by looking at some of the like data from the department of education, like so many of these kids can't read at grade level. Right. And they're graduating. And that's the scary part. They're graduating them. Like they're Mm -hmm. graduating 12 graders with a fourth grade reading level. That's not even Huck Finn. Right. Right. Yeah.
1: And well, and, and part of it too, it's like, it's not making it part of like the daily routine and the daily the the daily structure you know and I think a lot of families have gotten away from it you know when I was growing up you know we we would read we have you know I'd have stories read to me and things like that but I don't think parents are taking the time now to do it unfortunately and I, I agree Matt I think that you know reading is first and foremost, like what it's an essential life skill because it is going to, like you said, you're gonna to have to be able to read contracts later on. You're gonna to have to be able to even if you want to put something together, like you have to read a manual uh-huh, <laughs> or right. you could just be brave and just put it together. Sometimes my husband does that, but <laughs> he just puts it out there. Well, he never enjoyed Ikea. reading the manual. <laughs> it wasn't your yeah. car. <laughs> yeah. But math, like even for me, like math was never a strong suit for me. It wasn't. I struggled for years. Um, you know, there was even one of my first courses at um, in college. I failed. I had to retake that math course, but you know, it didn't, it didn't allow me to be stopped just because, you know, I wasn't good at math. Like I was good at other things. And, and quite honestly, like I, I read, but I was never a reader that enjoyed to read. I just did it. And, and I think that's because I never really found literature or was exposed to literature that I truly enjoyed. And I think that's part of it too, is like really getting to know your kids And seeing what they enjoy because I've had students before too that didn't like reading but once I showed them or I modeled like you know maybe the first chapter to my students I'd read to them they were hooked on the story and they wanted to read so it's you know it's finding interest in things that we're interested in and and the same thing as adults right if we're not interested in something like we're not going to spend time on it so I think finding things that truly do interest or inspire kids is going to be the key to success.
0: Right. I mean it's it's so it's it's so overlooked. I can't even believe I'm gonna say this that how important reading is. Mm-hmm. But I don't understand why that is just not like beaten into their into the kids like read, 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 read. It'll open up so many avenues for you. It, you don't understand its long term ramifications if you can't read.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, and, and it is in the school sites. I mean, the teachers, you know, do, do all that they can, you know, to right. help promote it. But I think part of it too is, you know, we have this, this new generation of YouTube and, you know, social media and things that are more entertaining rather than reading a book. And right. so it's, it's finding ways to, um, you know, think differently. I, Even as a teacher, I try to use a couple of, like, book trailers and things like that that I found online about the books that we were reading just to try to, like, engage the kids and want them to actually read the book (laughs) instead of just (laughs) watch the movie. You know, I could tell if the kids watched the movie when they took the quiz. It was very apparent. I was like, that wasn't in the book.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, that was – there was no CGI in the book, kid. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, okay. So how – then let's let's talk about homework how can kids and parents be better with homework
1: oh homework this is the debate for years right Right? yeah (laughs) too much
0: too little like what is that right
1: you know in all honesty if i if i was going to go back to the classroom today i wouldn't assign the homework that i assigned when i was a teacher i was in the i was in the classroom um about seven, seven or eight years ago is when I was in the classroom last. And, and here's why it's, you know, the kids are in school all day. You know, if, if we can structure it so that, you know, the students are focused, engaged and doing what they need to do during the day, then there doesn't have to be all this work and follow up when they get home. Sure. You can, you know, assign them 20 minutes to read a book. And that's probably as far as I would go but there are some teachers out there who are assigning lots and lots of homework and with, although the intention is great at the same time, like just like us with adults. I mean, if I've gone to a job and worked eight hours, like the last thing that I want to do is like take work home with me right. <laughs> and work on work at home, you know, cause yeah. you've already done that <laughs> for, for the whole day. So my advice is number one for parents, be in contact with your teacher. If it's an older student, read the syllabus. If it's younger, make sure that you understand what the homework policy is and what the intention is behind it. And because a lot of teachers, there is like reasonings for them to assign homework and it's not just busy work. Sometimes. Yes, you can you know, definitely see that there's busy work coming home, but oftentimes now how do you tell the difference? Well, usually it's like a worksheet. You okay. know, if it's more than one worksheet, it's just busy work. Like sometimes, you know, it'll be just like a follow-up skill that they've had for the day. But if you're looking at like this monstrous packet that really doesn't even get looked at each week, then it's just, you know, stuff that they're sending home to, you know, have never ending practice. I really believe like if you're going to send something home, like make it intentional. But is it? It's, is
0: that on the, is that on the teacher's? Though being late is being lazy, like I didn't teach you properly in the classroom, so hopefully the reinforcements you'll learn it at home.
1: Um, I don't know if it's them being lazy. I think it's it actually, you know, it's just it goes back to the system, right? Like some of the teachers have been doing the same thing that they've been doing since they started teaching. Same packet
0: they, for twenty years.
1: Exactly, and even. Even believe it or not, like, you know, when we were in school, like we'd have spelling words, right? Like you'd have your spelling word, mm-hmm. you know, list for the week. These are the ones you study. Like we're education's getting away from that. And If there are people still doing that, that's really not the intent and purpose of, of homework. Because again, that's just like memorizing regurgitation and putting it out there instead of really honing in on these common core state standards. So, you know, we talked about the the testing with language arts and math. The, the skill set that the students are required to have now is very, very different than even 10 years ago. And even before when it was No Child Left Behind, you know, everything was scripted. This is like, you know, early 2000s during the Bush era. Yep. Everything was scripted. Any teacher could walk into any classroom, pick up the teaching manual and literally read from it. Ugh. And we were told to read from it because they wanted the standardized, you know, everything was standardized for everybody. It was, was that a very e- cookie cutter was, approach
0: was that easy too because then you can just like kind of replace teachers in and out like just you know, oh, you can go right into the fourth grade class class and just follow this system
1: yeah, yeah, and it and it was actually a time um you know, where. They were in need of teachers right before it was the budget cuts of like two thousand eight when the recession hit. And and that was actually when I first started getting into teaching. And (laughs) that's good call. I remember I remember doing my student teaching that and it was like it was very just, you know, okay, this is what we're doing for the week. Like literally you just flip the page and it was like, Okay, that's what we're covering tomorrow. And it wasn't it wasn't like really looking at each student by their name, their number and their need and assessing, okay, this is the group of students that need this specific skill. This is a group of students that need that specific skill. It was very much give everybody the same lesson and then those that need help, you know, we'll provide a little bit of assistance for them. Very different time than what it is now. Oh, yeah. Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> Man.
0: So does it, Am I off when I say this? And I, I know I've said it 12 times. Like, <laughs> is a good second grade, do you, I guess, do you make or create a good second grade teacher to teach the skill sets for a second grader? Or do you really, do you want your kindergarten teacher to be able to go all the way through like eighth grade and have those same skill sets? Because a second grader and an eighth grader, or even like a sixth grader, like you taught, crazy Twelve-year-old hormones exploding. Like <laughs> right? uh, those are different. Like uh, a first grader is like an antsy, and a twelve grader is like a just a sloppy mess. Like, so do you have different? Do you want different skill sets?
1: You know, it's it still comes down to like the same principles because even for me, being an administrator, like sometimes I would have you know behavior issues that you'd see in a kindergartner, but were the same type of behavior issues that even an eighth grader has. Like, even though like the the five year old is probably on the floor having a tantrum, the eighth grader is having a hard time expressing themselves and getting very angry, but obviously not on the floor having a tantrum. Although there were a few, <laughs> sometimes <laughs> there were a few. <laughs> yeah, but as far as like, and I'm using that as the analogy because the, it's it's the same kid. It's the same kid, they're just older. But right. they're still dealing with the same the same things in school. They're still dealing with the socialization aspect. They're still being expected to perform academically. Reading is still a top priority. Um, performing well on tests is, all, is something that's expected. So that same expectation is there throughout your entire schooling. But it just depends on what age level you're at and what's appropriate at the time and what's not. And so it, again, it all goes back to focusing on the student and what the student needs.
0: Oh man. Yeah. I mean, I get, I mean, yeah, all the kids are going to be different. Like you were saying, you know, where you last taught, you had a lot of, you know, m- minorities and bilingual and they were coming and going. So those are going to be different kids with different skill sets than maybe the ones in like, you know, Pasadena or Riverside or San Diego. Right. So you've just got to kind of, I guess, adapt to every child.
1: Right.
0: Okay. So give some parents some advice here, right? Straight from the teacher. What's the best way to have your kids early on understand how do you study for a test?
1: So you know, like we talked about having that structure and and working on basic skills. And it, it doesn't mean that, you know, you drill and kill your kids all the time, but it's just incorporating what they're learning into everyday life. So if it for example, if we're talking about fractions, you know, something they learned in fifth grade. Oh, then we implement love fractions. We love fractions, huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Then then implement that like, you know, make a Bake some cookies, have a recipe that you do with your kids and, and teach them like how these fractions actually apply to life. And I think making that connection with your kids and, you know, not just seeing this is something that we learn in school, but okay, how is this going to apply to something that you learn in life afterwards? And even if it's something that they're studying. So in fourth grade, if you're learning about like here in California, the the missions, mm-hmm. If you live close enough to one of the missions or if you want to take like a little small day trip, go and explore that so the kids can actually see it. They can smell it. They can be in that environment. And I guarantee when they go back and learn about it, like they're going to be excited. They're going to be involved because they've had that hands-on experience, whether it was baking the cookies or going to the mission. They're going to have that skill set and know that, you know what, I've, I know exactly what this is about. I want to learn more about it.
0: I like the cookies one. I might've been a diabetic by the time I figured out fractions, but I like the cookies one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and then what happens when you have to like double the recipe or triple the recipe, you know, different things like that, where you can actually teach them those skills. It's called elastic pants. If you keep doubling the, the batch of well, cookies. Well, then I guess we can get into fashion design too, right? So.
0: Well, that gets into PE after, after all those yeah, cookies, you need too. to go out there and do your uh, jumping jacks. How funny. Um, uh, uh, do, uh, did you see, like, could you tell, um, if you saw a kid like, okay, he's going to be a good studier. She's going to be really good at it. And these kids are going to struggle. Like, what were those tell signs that you saw that, that you knew, okay, we, I got to work on these kids. Mm,
1: that's a good question. So sometimes a quiet ones you have to kind of wonder about, um, <laughs> for, for different reasons. First sure. of all. They may, be, they may be quiet because, you know, maybe they've experienced something in their lifetime or at home. Maybe they're coming with trauma and they just don't want to engage at school. Um, there could be the quiet student because they are afraid to use their voice. They haven't felt comfortable, you know, in, in a classroom where they can voice their opinion. Maybe they had one teacher before where they you know said said one thing and the teacher you know called them out on it and they're like no i don't want to speak anymore um it just it just depends you know there's and then there's there's some students where you know they're they're squirmy squirmy in the classroom because um you know maybe they have some behavior issues or different things that they need to work on or that they're working on you know there these are all like work-in-progress things. And it doesn't mean that the kid that is the most squirrely in the class necessarily is, you know, going to be the student that doesn't perform well. A lot of those kids just need something so that they can focus on it, whether it's, you know, whatever topic you're teaching on or for some of them, they need to figure out how they learn best. So I even had some students sometimes where, you know, they would need like a wiggle seat cushion, you know, that they could sit there and um, you know, just kind of move around, but still be able to do their work. And then there's some students who thrive on actually standing up. And I, I wish now, you know, now that I'm working from home and I have my own desk that, you know, raises up and down, it's like, man, we expect these kids to sit in these desks all day long, you know, without movement and without being able to like, you know, sit different places in the classroom. Um, One of the school sites that I worked at uh, before, um, they had a lot of flexible seating, which was kind of trendy, I'd probably say like the last five five to seven years, where it's not just traditional, you know, a desk and a chair, where they actually have, um, you know, Swiss balls, um, you know, different seats that they can sit on. They have, you know, like a lounge chair or couches. I even had a teacher, I loved walking in her room. Because these kids had different areas. It, it wasn't her space. It was the space of, of the classroom in the community. And you would walk in at any time. And, you know, kids were talking and buzzing, but they were learning. And there's a difference when you walk into a classroom where it's worked? utter chaos.
0: <laughs> yeah, why do you think that worked for those kids?
1: Because she established that with the kids in the classroom from day one. And that's where it really starts with teachers Those first two weeks, and I would always tell my staff this, those first two weeks are so critical for setting the foundation for the rest of the school year. There should be activities going on in the classroom where you're building relationships, not only you with the students, but the students to students, because they're going to be working with each other for the year. You're establishing the norms, you're establishing the expectations the routines, and there should hardly be any content going on because you are establishing that community culture. And so she worked really hard on that the first part of the year so that by even the first trimester, these kids, she could trust them to be able to get up from their seats and move about the room. She had one area where she had a whiteboard that was dedicated. She had split it up with, um, with some electrical tape, like different sections, mm-hmm. and students could get up from their seats and go over there and work out a problem on the whiteboard.
0: What's, like, this, what's this teacher's name?
1: Oh, I'm not going to mention her name. <laughs> well, she sounds
0: brilliant. I want people she's to go. Wonderful. Uh, yeah. Absolutely.
1: Wonderful. Uh,
0: let's, let's mention it just as like, she's a, <laughs> sounds like a wonderful person. God, buy her a beer. If you see yeah, Applebee's. Right. <laughs> good Lord.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I don't,
0: those are okay. Uh, this goes back to those are the teachers you want, right? Those, absolutely. The, the, she's thinking differently ahead of the curve. She's, she's, a, uh, she's, seeing what kind of squares and round pegs that she has and she's making it work. Then, you know, I'm sure you have had the ones that were just like 15 years past their prime. Like, all Mm -hmm. right, it's time to hang it up. And you still had those.
1: Yeah. And, and those, those typically like, if you're not engaging with your kids, if you don't know your kids very well and not to say that, you know, The teachers who do that don't have the behavior issues in the classroom because there are some kids who, you know, have some, has some severe needs and, and, you know, there's things that we're helping and working with them on, but typically the classrooms who are able to have an environment like that means that you have your classroom management under control and the classrooms that don't, you walk in and it's chaos and it's chaos because the kids don't know what to expect and it's it, let, let me put this example anytime and you know you can even think back to when you were in school what would happen when the teacher who is normally there your classroom teacher had a substitute what would usually happen <laughs> we'd watch <laughs> but, a movie yeah watch a movie <laughs> it would be different routine even right, though different the, routine the te- yeah, yeah even though the teacher you know may have left sub plans people do different things and people have different expectations. Right. So if that substitute isn't on the same page as the teacher because there's some great subs out there too who know no routines, they know the teachers who they go in and sub for, so it's like seamless when they come in because the kids know, "Oh man, this sub already knows, you know, what the routine is. I can't get away with anything." <laughs> and so those kids, you know, they're smart. They know when the teacher's not. You know, when the when the cat's away, the mice will play. Right? Absolutely. And so, Absolutely. And so, same thing there. But if you have that rapport with your kids, and you have things established, and you know, and they know that when you come back, you're not playing. <laughs> like it's going to be much harder when you return and you have a bad report from the sub than it was, if you guys just follow the routine and did what was needed for the day, you know, that that's the kind of, that's the kind of relationships you need to build with the kids so that they know what to expect all the time. And then, like I talked about even, you know, my, my rules be responsible and polite. If those kids are following those rules, it shouldn't matter who comes in. They should be able to, you know, embrace what the culture is of the classroom and be able to carry on no matter who comes in.
0: Yeah, that's, you know, it sounds so simple, but boy, I'm sure you've sat through them where you've just rolled your eyes and there's some teachers and there's some great ones. And then, you know, we've we've had that. I've got three boys, I two still in high school. And, you know, you just kind of go, oh boy, come on, teachers, we're pulling for you.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's tough because, you know, the, the way that the system's set up, I mean, as a teacher, you're, you go into that, you know, thinking that that's, that's the degree or that's the profession you're going to have for the next, you know, 30, 40 years, unless you decide to become an administrator, unless you decide to become like a, a teacher on special assignment. But there's a lot of people who don't do that. And so they just, you know, they get stuck in, what they've been doing and what they've always been doing and they get comfortable. And, and again, it goes back to like the culture that's established. So we talk about how those kids perform with that certain teacher, right? Because she's established that culture. Mm -hmm. Well, that's also the same thing of the administrator at the school site. However, they establish the culture of that school and what the norm is like, that's how the teachers are going to perform. So it comes from, it comes from leadership. It trickles down to the teachers and from the teachers, it goes to the students.
0: I mean, let's say you start off as a young teacher at 24, 25, you could teach for 40 years. Easy. Easily. So, I mean, I would think the most important trait a teacher has to have is be adaptable because what you learn let's say you graduate this year which would be 22 right and you get your teaching degree and you're off and you're running what you're going to be teaching in 2059 is not going to be what you learned in the last couple of years, right? So being adaptable and being able to change and keep up. I mean, God forbid, there's probably going to be holograms in 2059.
1: <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> right? I mean,
0: <laughs> if I would have told young Sarah at six someday, there's going to be this phone that's going to be to uh, have you, let you have the ability to talk to anybody in the world at any time and see them and be influenced right. by them, you'd be like, I don't care. I'm just watching SpongeBob SquarePants. Right. So I think being an adaptable teacher has got to be a huge trait you want to have in them mm-hmm. to, to, Absolutely. to, to, to Absolutely. Con- constantly improve.
1: Yeah. You know, and you, and you have to, you have to be a lifelong learner. Like you can't go into this profession thinking that you are going to teach some, the same thing for the next 40 years because that's not the same generation right? of kids, you know, and, and even, even in the last five years, like look how much has come, come about. Like before, I mean, we weren't, I, Zoom was out there, but we weren't using it right? like we do now. And now, I mean, you, you don't even have to leave home. <laughs> you no. can, you can get a whole education from the comfort of your own home and not even like physically have to go into a, to a school site. And that, that didn't exist this before.
0: Yeah, so that's you're crazy. right. What,
1: what's again, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's probably going to be a hologram. <laughs> like you said,
0: yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, if you graduate in 22, if you teach for 40 years at 62, what is possibly going to be like in 62? Right. I, I mean, um, so that if you went backwards, that would be what, 82? T- if you graduate in 82, no computer in your classroom, not even one in, on school possibly, and maybe one in the district. <laughs> Right, everything I remember mm-hmm. as a kid in the seventies, like if it was a film day, it was an it was eight millimeter or 12, 16 millimeter film, and you're watching it, it's clicking, and they're trying to get things together, and everybody was excited if there was a record player in your class, <laughs> right, and you got yes. to listen to stuff like, you know, there weren't whiteboards, it was chalk. Right. Um, yep. I, I don't even think until maybe my later years in high school did we have. Uh, uh, I don't even know what they're called. Where you, the clear paper you write it down, it projects. Oh
1: yeah, the what overhead projector. An overhead uh-huh. projector, right? But you yep. had like tons of clear paper all over the yes. place, flying yes. off. Yes, and yeah. you walk away with all kinds of marker all over your hand, yeah, that was on your arm because you were writing on it and got all.
0: I know you didn't experience this. Maybe your father did or your grandma but I had teachers that smoked in class. So wow. I mean, it's it's very different. <laughs> then so in sixty in. 2062 it's going to be very different yes yes
1: yeah
0: yeah adaptability for the teacher the industry and education because you can say well math is math still two plus two is four but you're not teaching that to the same kid in 82 it's a lot different these kids today
1: yeah their exposure
0: to things is incredibly different
1: absolutely and and the, the system itself was set up for a long time blue collar America, right? Like that's Mm -hmm. like the industry has been set up that way. And we're still, unfortunately, still, still running in that capacity where I think there needs to be, you know, more focus on just like life in general, you know, with these kids and, and having them have these experiences and actual practicality of skills, like we talked about in the beginning of this. Those practical skills, that you know, make some wrong decisions or no decisions as an adult and then have to learn from their consequences when it could be, you know, something that they could have easily been educated on um, earlier on in the process and made aware of it. So it's like... We got to get with the times, yeah. <laughs> you know. We really do, and it's and it's a gener a different generation, and things are moving a lot quicker than it did before.
0: All right, wave your wave your magic queen wand. What do you change tomorrow? You walk into you know the district of wherever, and you say, "I change this by decree." What would it be?
1: First and foremost, the priority prioritizing because you know and I mentioned this earlier too like all the different initiatives, mandates, like all these things are constantly changing all the time. And it is like as an administrator, I felt like I had tons of plates spinning all at one time. And it's like after a while you can't keep up because there's too many things going on at one time. So I think number one, narrowing the focus. So if literacy like really is the push, then we're just gonna focus on literacy. And we know that once we get that under control, then we can start focusing on incorporating some of that with math. But yeah. it's very difficult to focus on too many things at one time because no progress is made. Right. We just kind of keep going around circles in the boat instead of you know paddling forward in the direction that we want to go. Right.
0: Yeah. If literacy is your problem, that, you need to stop right there. And that needs to be like your 100% focus because you can't read your history. You can't spell. You're not going to understand math. Right. If the train yeah. leaves Detroit at two thirty and it gets to Cleveland at, you know, five forty five, and how long did it take? You're not going to understand any 30. of that. Right. So th- that is, that is something I just do not understand.
1: Yeah. And we get so wrapped up, you know, in these test scores too. Oh, you know? oh and nice and it, segue.
0: Thank you very much. Yeah.
1: you know, it's just, <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where it's, it's not everything, you know, it, it's one snapshot of a kid. And I mean, think about—we all have bad days, right? Right. Sometimes we Former go to work. Athlete. What's your yeah. best day?
0: What's your worst Ex- day?
1: Exactly. We go to work and we're we're having a bad day, but we still have to perform. And sometimes with the kids, it's the same thing. And there's there's so much anxiety with these kids when it comes testing time. I, you know, we haven't we didn't test for the last couple of years, obviously with mm-hmm. the t- pandemic and right. everything that went on. Thank goodness. Um, although they were <laughs> trying to to get all the testing remotely, but that's a whole nother conversation. But.
0: That's never going to work. <laughs> not a chance in hell,
1: but are, yeah, they doing, I, are
0: they trying to do that though, to make their buck to, under, you know, cause it all comes down to like butts in the seat is your federal funding.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's really where it comes from, you know, and, and, and not that anybody at the district office or, you know, anybody administration was for it. I mean, we were just, it was unrealistic to try to have students be at home, and, and do testing because it's, it's not it's not the ideal environment we don't have complete control over it although you know they had great advancements in technology as far as what they could do to help monitor the kids when they were at home. but it's just not the same. And so in a way it's like a waste of time right It's, it's like oh, just filling out one yeah. of those boxes and checking off the box and saying yep we got testing taken care of and there's no real validity to even the, <laughs> the scores yeah. <laughs> yeah it's great.
0: Nothing, nothing was was accomplished by that mess. No. So, I mean, testing in general, it's always done at the end of the year. That's mm-hmm. another one of my pet peeves. Like, I remember <laughs> my kids, like, when school, they would do the testing with, like, two weeks ago in the year. And then they kind of closed it down like the it was over. Right. Like, I remember teachers being like, okay, we're done. I'm like, whoa. Right. Why are my kids watching every episode of... You know, Finding Nemo and Toy Story for the last two weeks, and not being taught up until like the final day. Right, right. And I yeah. sound like the old man in the cul-de-sac when I'm like, "Back in the day, we <laughs> we were turning in assignments on the last day, but we were." So why, why has that changed?
1: You know, it's just, so much rides on the test. You know and that, that's what you hear the entire year. It's like, and as soon as January comes, you know, when everybody gets back from winter break, it's like all cylinders on, we only have like, you know, whatever it is, if it's like eight weeks to right. go before testing or whatnot, like everything that you've done the whole year doesn't matter until this, you know, the last <laughs> final push because yeah. everybody's just like cramming it down these kids' throats, you know, trying to get, get prepared for this one test and I just like, I feel I mean, I feel bad for everybody during testing time. I feel bad for the parents, I feel bad for the, the kids, the teachers, administrators, everybody because everybody's so super stressed out. But in particular, the kids. And I say that because, you know, being a site administrator, I was also the testing coordinator.
0: Oh, um, good God. One of the many
1: hats that I wore, too. <laughs> and so not only was I dealing with, you know, everything that goes on day to day, but, you know, God forbid, <laughs> help run all the tests. And, you know, I'm very grateful I had, you know, such great support at the site I was at. I had an amazing assistant principal who also helped out, too. So I wasn't alone. But what would happen is, you know, we have our, our time that we allotted for the test for the day. It was broken up over two to three weeks. okay. And so each day it was, you know, about two hours or so that they would be testing. And sometimes uh, they, they've changed the rules for the test in the last couple of years. But when the Common Core State Standard Test first came out, it was like you couldn't stop the test. You have to get to a certain point. For it to be able to to pause for the day and so you have some of these kids that would be spending hours i remember when i was an assistant principal there was this one girl who is just great student i mean you're talking like a pluses everywhere and at two o'clock in the afternoon she was still taking the test oh and it's like it just kind of breaks your heart because, you know, she wanted to make sure she got every single question right, like in her mind. But at the end of the day, it's like this test doesn't define you at all, at, at all, at all. And, you know, in, in my story, I was a terrible test taker, Matt, like awful. And it wasn't because I didn't know my stuff. It's like I would have anxiety. When okay. I was going to take right. a test and I just, you know, everything I knew went out the door. But looking at where, I, where I'm where i at today, it didn't matter. Like I, I went through and I have my doctor degree. And you know, nobody asked me about the standardized test that I took, you know, in elementary school.
0: You know what that's so, called? That's called a gamer. Right. That Right. You, you played with them. There's people that just got through practice. But when it became an opponent on the other side, you rose to the occasion. Mm-hmm. Right, like you might okay. I get through my homework. I get through my testing. <laughs> but when you had to actually apply it, boom, you were on. Right, right, right. That's yeah. the difference.
1: Yeah, and so I, I it, remember
0: sitting next to a kid who threw up. Wow, like he was just—you like, could look over, going like, "Oh man, he's not going to make it." And he, I visually watching him turn gray and green, and then he just puked. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, this is what we're doing. <laughs> we right. were like in seventh, eighth grade or whatever. I'm just
1: like, oh my god. Yeah. Well, and e- even to get into college too, you oh, know, like yeah. the when SAT. I was, I had to take that SAT. I couldn't even tell you how many times that. Like, I barely. I remember when I finally made it. <laughs> I called the coaches at Fullerton and I was like, I finally passed. Like <laughs> Carolyn, you'll be so yes. Happy. They were concerned. <laughs> and and that that test is supposed to be a forecast of how you're going to do in college. <laughs> it's like, no, it's not at <laughs> all, at all. at all. And so, you know, I just, I think we get so wrapped up in all of these scores, you know, and, and performance when we don't really look at the whole child.
0: I remember taking that test going, Oh my God, some of these answers are so easy. And then there's somewhere I'm like I have no idea what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. How how did I get through 12 years of school and somehow I missed the blah blah blah, blah thing? I, I right. what, what that equation or whatever like it, I, I have no idea. And then there were some I'm like really what is a second grade? This is easy. <laughs> And of course right. of course, the bus is going to arrive at 3 o'clock. Right? It's easy. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah,
1: yeah. Th- yeah. Th- but
0: now we don't even, you know, even take those tests anymore, right? I think they don't even matter. No, they're
1: not now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. which is good. You know, right. I mean, we've got to be looking at other areas and things. Like well, one test score is not going to make or break you. you no. Know? And I, I think that's what that's what we have to kind of get past and, you know, even even for parents too. Like, you know, don't don't stress your kids out over these tests and yeah if they if they come back with you know a a score that you know you're not happy with or that isn't very good then use it as an opportunity to learn from it i mean how many times in life do we fail right but it's like how we get back up and how we learn from the mistakes to so that next time we know okay well i'm not i'm gonna do it differently next time
0: right All right. You got your seatbelt on because we're going to touch the third rail.
1: (laughs) All right. All right. Buckled in.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Teacher's union. (laughs) I'll let you step back for a second. Take a deep breath. (laughs) Right? Yes. That's the one that everybody wants to talk about. It, no one wants to talk about it. It's like religion, politics. And nobody <laughs> wants to talk about
1: it. Yeah. You don't talk about it. At the you don't table talk there. about the teachers union, <laughs> but, <laughs> but,
0: but it's the one that is, it controls the teachers. It controls the district. It guides the whole state or district or region. Um, in so many ways, I, I knew my numbers, but then when I was really looking at some between the LA Times and uh, San Francisco had a good article like, uh, let's see, between 2004 and 2016, uh, teachers unions donated 4.3 million, but it rose in 2016 to $32 million a year. Uh, But... And this is the the third rail. Very little of it went to Republicans. 94% went to Democrats. So now you've got something that's supposed to be an advocate for the teachers, the National Education Association and teachers, and now it's become like a political thing. Why? Why is that? And yeah, I just threw a lot on you.
1: Man, well, it, it's <laughs> it's, def, it's a political conversation yeah. <laughs> to say that. But, you know? but isn't it
0: sad because it's supposed to be an educational thing?
1: Right, right. And I think, you know, that, that it's it's where it stems from, where, where it really jars a lot of people because there are people, you know, and I, I have many friends, I have, you know, different people I've worked with that are affiliated and part of, you know, teacher unions and things like that. And there are really some things that, you know it it is good for but there's a lot of things that it does get politicized and again going back to the beginning of the conversation what do we talk about about the kids right right unions are about the teachers but at the same time looking at the teachers but what the decisions that they're making for the teachers is this also in the best interest of the students
0: absolutely
1: and that's where it gets sticky, because a lot of times, you know, and and here's the thing: every district's different. Every every contractual agreement is different between each district, mm-hmm. and a lot of it depends on when it was established. You know, like um, from my experience, the, the the contract that was written, there are things in the teachers' contract that were decided many many years ago, and by different administrations, different superintendents, different unions. Right. Right. But we're still referring back to that language and, you know, attending to that as if we're still living 20 years ago.
0: Right. When When, that contract was written. Sure.
1: Exactly. And as we talked about, you know, things in education have changed. And so I also believe that, you know, the unions also have to get with the times too, because there are a lot of things that, may look like from the district end or administrators and that, you know, our hands are tied, which in fact they are. And it's not that, you know, we don't want to, you know, agree with the unions, but there are a lot of things when it comes to the way that the funding is, you know, what budget cuts have taken place and what the priorities are that people don't really understand. And so I think at times that's why district personnel and the union representatives kind of butt heads because... There are so many different gray areas that aren't touched on because of whatever mandates are going on at the time from the federal government.
0: Right? Mm-hmm. Did you ever have when you were wearing the big hat, the big sombrero, as the principal? <laughs>
1: sombrero, yes. Yes,
0: the big <laughs> sombrero. You were like the sombrero, like at the at the. Super Bowl party that had like nachos <laughs> in the middle and like the guacamole and some sour cream and some black olives you had the whole, whole everything right but did you ever have a teacher come to you and go I got an issue or do they just bypass you and go to their union rep
1: you know I had I, I was very fortunate I had good relationships with my teachers um, and so I always had an open door policy and you know I always told them you know that if, if there's something going on if there's something that you know you need help with or that I can assist with like come and talk to me you know I always wanted to have that that line of communication and we always had union representatives on the site too which you know I I had um, you know good relationships with them too so if there were anything that they could foresee like being a problem or something that came to their attention, like we would, we would talk about it, which, which is great. Um, Not, not all administrators, you know, have, have that type of relationship with their, their unions or even with their people. But I, I think for me, just, you know, starting out of the gates, having that open door policy and being like a, a team player you know, like I was playing on their team, too. It's it wasn't like me against them kind of mentality, uh-huh. which I think a lot of administrators sometimes it's kind of um, standoffish because they don't even feel like they can go in and talk to their principals. Oh, that's that's, not that's where the problem. That's where the problems lie. you know, if if you can't have it, it's the same thing, like in the classroom, right? Like if a student doesn't feel like they can talk to their teacher, like. The kid's going to lose out and 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 the teacher's not going to know that there's a problem. And then one day, like, it's going to boil up into something and they're going to wonder what took place.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. They'll be, they'll be shocked that something happened.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Did, so fortunately, did, I had good experiences.
0: Did you get kind of an insight with your dad being a principal and maybe having to deal just when it comes up and down with unions? And the good side, the bad side, so that when you became a teacher, you had a, you had a little bit of a exposure. And then when you became the principal, did that yeah. help?
1: Yeah, I mean, we, we had some conversations about it. I think, you know, the, the biggest piece of advice, and I don't know if it was my dad or my aunt, you know, who had told me, especially when I first got into it as a teacher and then especially as a, as a principal, read the contract. You know, you, oh. you need to be familiar with it. And especially as an administrator, like I had that teacher contract, you know, in my top door all the time just to, you know, make sure like and that was the hard part is like even if I was like trying to make a decision for the greater good of the school community and for students, I always had to refer back to that contract to make sure that I wasn't violating anything.
0: Yeah, you weren't. St- Screwing mm-hmm. something, but mm-hmm. God, but see, but then yeah. that. Let's say that contract was written ten years ago, and times had changed in some regard. You're hamstrung. You're totally tied.
1: Right, right, yeah, and and you are, you know, and and uh, and the hard part as as the administrator, like you know, teacher, classified staff has their unions. The teachers have had their unions, and for me as an administrator, I had no union. <laughs>
0: So, wait a minute, wait a minute. Principals aren't in the teacher union?
1: In our district. In your district. No. That okay, mm-hmm.
0: that's right. Yep. Again, every district yeah, is an different. you're
1: at-will employee, so you can be let go at any time.
0: <laughs> so you're managing people that are playing under a contract in which you don't have one. So it's kind of like, who is the principal with the ultimate power? My union rep or you?
1: Right, right and, and I, I truly believe that the power lies within the teachers you know they they really do have the upper hand you know especially with the, the contractual agreements you know, that are that are put put in place
0: right and you know you get the you get the some teachers that get all fired up like I just don't want to you know have to be forced to pay my union dues right so there's been that oh, issue yeah. it went to the Supreme Court and they' uh-huh. were told like you know you, don't, you're, you should not have to be forced to pay this whether you agree with the union or not. And then you get the ones that are like, "Well, I don't like the fact that like the numbers I gave you 94% goes to one political party. Well, what if you want to give it to the Whig party or you want to give it to the Green party or whatever? No, you're mm-hmm. you're you're giving it to one." You know, you get you know that was a big exposure in the Gavin Newsom's recall where the California's, you know, Union Teachers Union gave him tons of money. Like how How is that when you sit back and you look at it and you go, that has nothing to do with the kids. That's why we all got right. into this. But right. the unions are not in it for the kids in the end. Mm-hmm. Like you said, they're in it for right. the teachers. Right. But then did you ever feel like when you were a teacher, you're sitting there going, hey, like I'm stuck in the middle. I'm trying to do these things for the kids and you're pulling me in another direction.
1: I tried to stay out of it. <laughs> You know, I, was I it just scary? Dues. Was yeah, it scary? I, it really was. And, it, and probably because I didn't know, you know, so much about it. And, and I wasn't focused on that. Was like, it intimidating? Scary? Kind of yeah. like, like
0: somebody would kind of like, no, this is what we're doing or this is what they do for us.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, if, 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 a teacher got, you know, huffed about whatever the principal had said or whatnot, and they're like, oh no, you need to go talk to your, you know, union rep. And it wasn't me, you know, if I like right. overheard them talking to somebody else, not just like, my God! Like, <laughs> why don't you just go talk to the principal? You yeah, know? like
0: it's just we're talking about jello pudding. Why are we getting yeah. so upset? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. And I and I think that like part of it, it's like there's power there, you know, and and it takes away from just like having like a good old fashioned conversation with somebody, you know, like if there's conflict or some something going on, like just go talk to that person. Like they're a person at the end of the day, right? And, and even for me, like when I was a principal too, it's like, I think people get wrapped up in like, you know, this is your title. This is what you do. And you're not just like, you know, I'm also Sarah, like, I'm not just Sarah, the principal, like I'm Sarah as well too. And I'm human and I have feelings and things like that. And I'm, I'm here to help and serve, you know, and I'm not here to ruffle feathers or, you know, get people in trouble. Like, and I think that's what people think too. It's like, you know, administrators are there to not like, ha yeah, gotcha, you weren't doing your job. You know, it's like, okay, I see that, you know, this, this is something that you're struggling with. Like, what can I help you with? Is there something that, you know, I can put into place? Do you need a, a little bit more assistance with this or that? And instead, people are just trying to ke- catch people doing something wrong. And and getting them consequences for it. And I I think that's where we're going wrong with all this union stuff. You know, it it needs to go back to like good old fashioned conversations, relationship building and working together to have that common goal of what both sides of the table are doing.
0: Yeah, that would be that'd be very helpful. Yeah, that would be again, if you were queen for a day, <laughs> right? And you had right. a wand, after you clubbed a couple of people with it, you make some changes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure, for
1: sure. I don't like
0: the way she deals with that, mm-hmm. but that's what needs to be done. God, it's all about the kids and it gets so lost. Damn well, it. It, it!
1: It takes so much to Matt, though. Like you know, I I was never part of like the, the bargaining team. I had many you know um, trainings and things on it, but sometimes it would be days and weeks, and sometimes months that they are at the table trying to come to a common consensus. And if you like, one of the things that I never really understood too, it's like we're always working on like the the last year's contract. And that's why you have like all this retro pay that comes like the year after because right. they're still negotiating things that were last year <laughs> instead of focusing on let's work on next year's contract. It's always like the stuff from behind. <laughs> and so because they, they can't make a decision. <laughs> Jesus.
0: <laughs> Aren't you glad it wasn't like that when you were playing volleyball and officiating? Oh, oh well, my God. You know, six points <laughs> ago, we're, we're going to overturn that. We've decided right? we're giving it to Pacific. Sorry. You're down. Right. You're down three. Yeah. 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 Wait, what? Well, <laughs> <laughs> playing for the point ahead.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and you know that's uh, and and unfortunately the politics side is you know where we lose a lot of good people because people want to be part of that because it's it, it really you know if if you let it get to you it can feel like drama and it can feel like you're constantly in a soapbox or so or soap opera you know, right. all the time because you're you're listening to all these. Like people have like problems, problems, problems instead of focusing on, okay, where are the solution, solution, solutions? Right. Like If we focus more on the solutions, I promise you the problems will solve themselves. Yeah, it's
0: a little bit of poison every day. Right. You know, you, right. oh, that's painful. <laughs> well, the, the part that goes hand in hand with that, and you, you've wore this hat, is the the administrators. And like there's a study that says that there's like 3.3 to every one Teacher, like for every teacher, three point three teachers, there's an administrator. Are there too many administrators?
1: Do you Absolutely feel, not.
0: <laughs> do you feel? Do you feel there's too many, like in the district, or where are there too little, or where, where does it need to be more support?
1: You know, there uh, since um, have been in education, there have been lots of cuts. Like you know, obviously, I came in during you know the recession where there were a lot of budget cuts, but even from then. There have been cutbacks and even district personnel. Um, they have ab- abolished positions and then combined them with other people's positions.
0: Okay, here, to give, give people an insight. What is the district's job, right? If you have schools, what does the district do? Because that can kind of seem like that hidden building on some part of a city.
1: Yes, yes. This magical building that lives up on top of a hill that nobody sees or up in the clouds even, right? Yeah, there's no
0: road to it, but somehow whatever they do, <laughs> messages come down.
1: Yes, yes. Messages come from it and it's always their fault and <laughs> everybody blames the district.
0: Right. Yeah. But yeah. But what is like, so how many, okay, does a district have a city or a county? Or is that does that rotate? Like, I know Fullerton has a district, but does that fringe into like Buena Park or like where you're at? Like, how how big can a district be?
1: I think it just depends, honestly. Um, how is established and if it's like a unified district or not. Um, the one that I worked for was just primarily in in one city, but even within the city, we had um, two other smaller districts. So it just depends. Like like LA Unified is one of the biggest in the nation. Right, that's um,
0: that's and, bigger than some countries.
1: Yes, <laughs> they're all over the place. And, and,
0: and there has been talk for years, and then nobody wants to listen to it at the district that so that needs to be broken up because it's so big.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah. And when you think about like managing, you know, that many, um, it's a lot. The district I worked for was about 16,000 students. Um, I, I believe they're probably back to like. 14,000 now because enrollment is uh, declining um, various reasons. People are moving out of the area. It's just, it's very expensive in California. Right. Um, After the pandemic, we had quite a few kids who, um, who left um, and went to other States just because um, they couldn't afford to live here any longer. Um, Yeah. But, but the district itself, you know, is, is like the central hub, all the decisions, everything has, it's coming from there. And, Um, although the, the superintendent is the one that's in charge of everything, the school board also has a lot to do with the decisions that are made. Um, and, you know, there are constituents for, you know, each, each section of the city where they have a representative and so forth. And, um, you know, a lot of the policies are, are made and created with the assistance of the school board. Um, and so from there, you know, that's, if you're talking about, you know, all these decisions are being made on the district end, you know, and a, a lot of the staff, teachers always refer to the district. Um, and that's because, you know, some of them don't really get to know, you know, the directors that are, that are part of it. Oh, you know, absolutely. They'll, do, they'll do various trainings and things like that. And to be honest, you know, I mean, I know all about the directors and everybody who is at the district I work for, but um, it wasn't until I became an administrator that I knew all that, you know. And I and I think that's just because you know I went in my classroom, did what I needed to do, listened to my site administration, and you know I was on my way.
0: <laughs> here, here, this is LA, Los Angeles Unified School District, thirteen hundred and two schools. Wow, with a seven point six billion dollar budget. For over six hundred and seventy thousand students. Wow. That's a lot of kids. That is a lot. That's that a is a lot of kids. That absolutely needs to be broken up into like six pieces. Yeah. It's like from Long Beach to Palmdale or something. Mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. that that is geography wise, that is absolutely insane.
1: Yeah. That's a lot of responsibility <laughs> right there. Especially you're you're up in that district office in the clouds, you know. Yeah. That's, That's
0: a lot. 960 square miles it it encompasses. Wow. Wow. There's, you know, uh, like the numbers here, they give out over five, half a million, half a million free meals a day. Mm -hmm. They give out between breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Like that is just, that is a massive, massive district and something like that for the better. Again, we've both said this for the better of the student. You're not, you're telling me there's no way making that smaller makes it better. Right. right. There's no yeah. way you, there's no way you can, you can uh, proficiently accommodate the kids, no less the schools and the teachers on something that size.
1: Right. And and you know, as the bigger something gets, the more issues and problems, you know, oh. that arise to that, you know, need or challenges, you know, things that come up that, that need help and assistance. And I wonder even for LA Unified, if they're adequately staffed with their, their directors, their administrators, you know, different things like that. I, I bet they're not. Or,
0: or they're inefficient. Right. You know, I'm sure that, that, that is a, a huger problem. And, you know, right. that could be a 16 week study by the LA times on something like that, where it's just like an absolute out of control mess and uh, there's some people uh, parts of that that are lacking and some that can use you know detract and, and expand and, and just I'm sure that's a problem like let's just take your your school right when you were wearing that big sombrero again like how did you and you said a little bit you felt a little overwhelmed like how, how would you have been able to make it better at little Sarah's world
1: yeah. Well, you know, de- definitely more help for sure. Um, you know, I was at that school side as it was rolling up with construction. It was, it was coming from, uh, being a K six school, rolling up to a K eight school. And, uh, at the time I was, I only had a half, half a assistant principal. So someone that was only there part time.
0: Okay. I was going to say half, like so they were splitting <laughs> her in half. Yeah. Right. No, I meant like she was working. Like, yeah, Yes. But she was jumping back and forth between two schools yes, or yes. a part timer.
1: Yeah, I know for two school sites. So oh. she was shared between two principals. So talk about like being in the middle, right? Like you have two different administrators that you are, you are helping out and overseeing at two sites. And then, you know, living, living the world at one school site and then having to switch gears. So sometimes it would be, um, she was there for three days a week, some days or some weeks it was two days a week. It just depended on how the week flowed. And so even for me, like, I'm trying to maximize what I can do when I have help there, because when you're, when you're alone by yourself, everything, it revolves around you. You know, at least when you have an assistant, like if you're in the middle of a meeting or something and something comes up with a kid or whatnot, the other person can help out or vice versa, you know, whatever happens, but it's challenging, you know, and, um, and in recent years, you know, lots of extras have been added onto, you know, administrators plates, you know, it's not just curriculum, like sometimes we didn't even have a site tech, you know, who was on, on campus and I have a teacher who's frantically calling and, you know, this even goes to when it was, um, pandemic time when the teachers were on site teaching. Right. We didn't have a full time um, tech on site. They were like rotating them. So this teacher is in a full on panic because her computer's not working, but her class needs to be on Zoom. So who goes down there and does tech support? Like I'm gonna go down there. Like I, <laughs> Sarah puts on her <laughs> take, tech hat now. Yeah, yeah. But you know, but that's just that's the type of person I was. You know, it didn't matter what my job title was. If somebody needed help, like I was gonna help them. You know, if, especially if I could.
0: You know, uh, I could see you in overalls with your little name badge that says, Sarah, you know, your little <laughs> tech tool belt. Right, walking, exactly. Walking exactly. in there. I'm yep,
1: there, <laughs> there wasn't any job too small for me. <laughs> <laughs> but okay. But did that
0: IT person or tech person come from district? And so that person had to jump from school to school?
1: Yeah. So they were also hopping from school to school as well. Um, and again, this goes back to there were, they, they had to make cuts in the budget because Okay, so I talked a little bit about enrollment declining, right? So mm-hmm. enrollment plays a huge part in funding for districts. Right,
0: absolutely, right? Butts and seats, that's where you fed feds exactly. f- give you money.
1: Exactly. So if your enrollment's declining, so is your annual budget. And so you the, the district personnel always does kind of like a forecast a couple years out to kind of anticipate or see like what the budget's going to be and then – to be proactive, like you start making cuts and this comes from like, you know, the district end, right? The, the cuts in different areas so that they're not going to be in a deficit because every district always has like a reserve of money that they have kind of stored away for a rainy day in case they need it for something. But after time, that reserve, oh, once you start God. digging into that reserve, you could be in a in a bad situation if you're counting on that reserve money. Oh, yeah, it's, it's bad. And, and I've been, you know, I've been in the meetings too, where they presented the budget to us and they've asked us like, we need your help. Where can we make cuts here? And that is like, it's, it's very hard, especially when you start talking about people, you know, and like, and I'm talking about people with like their positions, you know, and you have to like, you have to get the person out of your mind from the position when you're talking about it, because you actually have to see, you know, is this a position that we can afford to continue to have? Or is this a position that is vital to the success of our district and we have to make this a priority? So it's very difficult.
0: It's funny. So there were no tech people when I went to school. I'm looking at the LA <laughs> district here. The guy, I don't even I didn't even know this job existed, just my research, the key master for Los Angeles school district makes over 200 K a year. This person's in charge of all the keys in the district,
1: Mm, mm -hmm. but
0: like you're saying right before a pandemic, you're going to start making cuts, possibly lose an it person right before when tech becomes the most important thing. Absolutely. During a pandemic, but you keep the key guy because you got (laughs) to lock up the gym, you know?
1: (laughs) I know it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, all these and again, it's like politics, you know, everything that comes into play as well.
0: Well, I'm sure know? the key guy has a union yeah. rep.
1: Yeah, and and the way things have been, right? Like we keep going back to that. It's like the way things have been. This is how it's always been. This is what we always need. And it's like no, like this is very different. I mean, even even what is needed in education compared to two years ago, prior to the the pandemic, uh-huh. compared to now, is very different. Oh,
0: absolutely. Yeah. So. Before you became a world famous Cal State Fullerton Titan, I remember when I was working there. Mm -hmm. Milton, the president, (laughs) Uh wanted a brand new library to, you know, have a big shiny thing on campus. And the and you know this, the old library and the new library obviously Uh look extremely different. But I remember sitting with the wise sage Mel Frank sitting there going why are you going to build a library when the internet is here? Like <laughs> it's, it's, it's here. This is 1999. Like, you know, it's, it's not going away. It's exploding. Everybody's getting websites. If home Depot is building a website and, you know, driving you there, libraries, And he wanted a library and he got the library instead of what was ironically, what the students wanted was a parking structure. And so Mm -hmm. there became two libraries. And it's like, Mm -hmm. where were the people to think of the future going? How about making a tech building? Right. We don't even know what that means yet, but the library is the least thing we need right now. Right. And. Right now you can walk on that campus. You and I can go tonight and walk on that campus and they'll be that library will be open and there'll be four people in it and they're lost. And and they're wow. in there because they just don't want to be in their dorm. But the mm-hmm. other old library is a haunted house.
1: Oh, yes. I used to hate going in that, <laughs> that wing. Yeah, and, and that's where all the educational books were, Matt.
0: <laughs> yes. Okay, I know. Right. And, and you would open up the elevator would open up and it'd be dark and you'd have to take a step in for the motion lights to turn on. <laughs> it was it was a horror film waiting to happen. But it's like it's foreshadowing education. There's so little of it going on. Everybody like we've said is stuck in the old ways. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. what enema does the education system need to like catch up and look ahead?
1: It, it needs the younger generation to help be part of of the lead, <laughs> you know. And I and even for me, Matt, like when I'm coming up, you know. Being a teacher, I wasn't in a classroom for very long. I was only there for five years, which to a lot of people, is like years, that's unheard what? of, right? Yeah.
0: But what, what is that in dog years?
1: 70, oh, 75? <laughs> yes. <I'm> about 75. <laughs> right? Because it's you not. Put in your dues. Yeah, yeah. It was. It's like, it's like combat. Like you, yes. you spent
0: two years on a tour, but it was really more like 20.
1: <laughs> <laughs> totally. Totally. Going through that. And it's like, you know, I, I came in and everybody's like you're so young. How are you a principal? You know, this and that. And what was really cool, like by the time, by, by last year, uh, you know, I was finally starting to see more younger administrators come through and it's like, that's, and I, and I'm not knocking, you know, anybody who, you know, it's Absolutely. Older than me or whatnot or anything like that, but it's just like, you know, we need this fresh perspective, you know, cause even for me, like, like the new teachers, right. Who are in their younger twenties, like, they're very different than I am because it's a different generation. And so we need to find ways to bring new ideas and new ways of thinking and doing to the table. And it doesn't have to be, you know, the way that things have been for the last 30, 40 years is the way that we continue doing business. Like what businesses do that? You know, even Apple, Apple is very different from the Apple that very first opened, especially with the first, you know, uh, Mac computers, and even the first iPods that were out. Things are very different with the way that they do things now. And look at their success. They're keeping up with the times. We've got to keep up with the times.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, you got to keep up with the times. Otherwise, <laughs> you, you completely get lost. And you're not helping the kids in the future. Yeah,
1: and it's a disservice to these kids, right? Absolutely. Like, you know, and and we have to prepare them for jobs that don't exist out there anymore. Like even even what I do now as an athlete transition coach, that is something that when I went to college, do you think that was an option? Absolutely not. Being an online coach, that wasn't even heard of. No. But giving them the skill set, giving them the tools that that they need, like we talked about the basic life skills, we all need that give them some technology things. Honestly, they could probably do it better than we can. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, Absolutely. You know, the kids would always help me out with the tech stuff too. And not that I'm not tech savvy. It's like, they just like, it's like speaking a different language. They're to immersed them. in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They came out of the womb with an iPad. Right. You
0: know? <laughs> well, it's true because you can, you and I can go door to door in your neighborhood right now and try to find a kid watching TV and, it's not going to happen. Right. But we're going to find them with either an iPad or a smartphone mm-hmm. in their hand. Totally. And they're, on, and they're not either, they're either on YouTube or they're on their YouTube channel making content.
1: Right. Right.
0: Right. right? But that, mm-hmm. that's the difference with this generation. It's if you're not thinking that way about how to interact with them and teach them in that regard and still try to apply 1950s, <laughs> you know, teaching style. Right. Here's the
1: packet. Yes. Shut up, sit down, fill it out, you know? Right, yeah. That's not going to do anybody
0: any good. No, <laughs> they're lost. <laughs> God, I mean, I mean, bring back home, Eck and wood shop for God's yes. sake. Yes, yes, absolutely. I know, for the love of God. There's not, uh, you know, I could bring out a skill saw and, the, and kids will walk by and they have no clue what I'm doing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right, yeah, somebody to... You know, figure out two cups and four cups and measure a liter, and they're looking at you like "Uh, Siri, help me out.
1: (laughs) Good old Siri and Alexa, our friends.
0: Yeah, (laughs) she's rolling her eyes, going, "God, I told you this last week."
1: I know, (laughs) right? (laughs) Figured out already. It's eight cups. Oh man, hey, we may be replaced by Alexa (laughs) or that hologram. Either one. Yeah, exactly, (laughs) exactly.
0: Yep. How is your podcast going?
1: You know it's it's going great, Matt. I, I'm I'm growing. I've had I think I'm up to like episode thirty five now. Yes, um, you
0: are. I, got, I I knocked out. I think
1: thirty four. Oh, nice. You're all caught up um, too. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and I just you know it's been such a great opportunity for me to to meet people and hear about their stories and just connect. And there's been a lot of people on my on my podcast I've never met, and there have been some people who it's been, it's been a minute, you know, it's been 15, <laughs> 20 years and we're reconnecting again, which is, it's so wonderful, you know, that this, this whole world has opened up and the possibilities of, of what technology can bring us. And like with the kids, this is what it's all about, you know, giving them, giving them some skills and confidence that they can go into the world and create, create anything that they want to create.
0: I know. Cause when I saw you last, you were a principal. Now you're an entrepreneur. <laughs> Boom. Just like that.
1: Just like that, overnight. (laughs) (laughs) Just life skills.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Who do you have coming on next?
1: Um, I got a couple of guests uh, this week that I'll be interviewing. One was a former professional uh, basketball player overseas in Europe. I have uh, another one coming up on Monday. Um, He was actually part of uh, USA Swim. Okay. Um, for a little bit there and he was a coach so that'll be releasing soon and then uh, i have another one lined up another uh lady who i actually co-authored um so i think when i talked to you last i had one book out yes um, you were I working my on two one out. Yeah. yeah my second one athlete to entrepreneur and it's a collaboration book with other uh co-authors in there everybody's uh, an athlete and it's their stories about how they became entrepreneurs after Um, being an athlete and utilizing their skill sets to help them. And uh, I have a a girl that's on the book with me and she's a basketball player, was a basketball player. And so I'm going to be learning about her story. She has her own uh, math tutoring business. And it just seems like the more and more I dive into this, there's so many more athletes who figured out, you know, they didn't fit in this mold that, you know, our education system has kind of set us up for. And instead have paved their own path and have become entrepreneurs, taking their skill sets with them and applying them to whatever they want in life, which is awesome.
0: And you can find all of that at rebrandedathlete, right? .com.
1: rebrandedathlete.com is all on there. I'm also on Instagram and uh, LinkedIn. So, if, uh, you know, you're out there and want to connect, you can reach out to me and the books are also on there. If you are inclined to order those too.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, take a look. Okay. So if somebody sees you in a bar and yells, what do you prefer? Dr. Sarah or coach Sarah? <laughs> or does it matter as long as they're buying the beer?
1: Hey, you know, it doesn't matter as long as they're buying the beer, for sure. (laughs) Because you've got (laughs) the nacho hat, so it doesn't really matter. (laughs) (laughs) I do, I do. You know, it's one of those things, like, when I was going to get my doctorate degree, I was never going to be the person like, no, it's Dr. Sarah, you know, like, I, I think it's cool that I have my doctorate degree and I put it out there. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm Sarah and most people who work with me, uh,
0: they call me coach Sarah. Okay. <laughs> so like, yeah. you don't want to get yourself in a pinch. Like you're on a Southwest flight and then over the phone, you know, this is your captain speaking. Is there a doctor on board? And you're like, Oh <laughs> crap. I put that on yes. my ticket. Not that kind of doctor. Yeah. <laughs> we need somebody to do a tracheotomy. Uh, hold on a second. <laughs> I'm going to have to get on YouTube and look this up. Oh, I love it.
1: <laughs> it's like, YouTube. It's that YouTube university. I'm telling you. Yeah. We'll figure this out.
0: They're staring at you like, aren't you supposed to be a doctor?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's great.
0: Well, I'm glad. I love the podcast. I, I can't thank you enough for your time today oh, thank to you. touch that third rail of education and see who we could piss off. Maybe the district will come down from the holy mountain and set our homes on fire in the next couple of days. Yeah.
1: <laughs> No, it's, it's it's all good you know it's it's one of those things that you know needs to be talked about and um I, if we all work together and not just see it as one-sided or one responsibility of one person or one organization like if we all do our part like we're gonna set our our kids up for success right. Remember. it's Abs- the kid first yeah always.
0: that should be the tattoo on every teacher right right? Yeah. On the arm, kid first. <laughs> Kids first. <laughs> yeah. Because you know, we, that's what, that's what teachers get involved for.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's all about that. So do you, you miss know. it a little bit? You know what? I, I miss the people. Um, I had such a great team at the school site that I was at, but honestly, I don't miss the politics. And yeah. that was, that's really what was a turnoff for me. Um, you know, the more and more I was involved in it and the more that I just felt like I couldn't change things, you know, no matter what I did at the end of the day, I was, you know, good with my sight and things that I needed to do. But it's like, there was so much that was out of my control and I, it was just, you know, sucking the energy out of me. And I, I was like, you know what? I have something to give to this world. I know I can, I can reach people on a different level and help out even more. You okay. know? And that's. Can you gone. say what
0: you wanted to change? Without having the district come down with the black off (laughs) helicopter.
1: I, I think really just like the focus, you know, when it comes down to it, like, like I've been talking from the beginning of this episode, like putting kids first, like everything that we do, like putting your ego aside, putting aside the fact that, you know, you're in it for you, like. You cannot be in education if you're in it for yourself. It's got to be for the kids and the greater good of the community. And there are so many people that were, you know, very self-centered on themselves and didn't think about, you know, the, the whole the whole team aspect, which which is if, if we're going to make great things happen, we can't do it alone. It's got to be everybody doing their part and education will be unstoppable.
0: See, that makes me, uh, you know sad because a beautiful person like you who really wanted to get involved and make a change did it the right way you know gets squeezed out because of just it wasn't it wasn't a happy place for you
1: yeah like you can't be
0: in that boat you know pouring out water and trying to row in the same direction like you can't do like that's not right yeah well
1: and, and from day one you know I was always having to To like advocate and fight for myself, you know, even if it was, you know, being that new classroom or new classroom teacher. To when I decided I wanted to step up and be a leader, and people telling me that I didn't have enough experience, I was too young, like all these things. Like, and and I got past that, you know. It's it's the same thing as being on the court, you know. You got your hecklers, you got people telling you you can't do things, and you still do it. But at the end of the day, it's like I would. I, I felt like I was having to prove myself like two to three times more because of number one, my age, number two, who I was related to, and number three, people thinking that I, I just, you know, got an easy ride. You know, I just right. it, it just came to me and it was like, No, no, no. If you guys would know the opposite of what I actually had to do to get to this leadership position, you know, and, and from there I had great things, you know, that, that I accomplished great people I worked with. And, you know, I have no, no regrets about going into education. I think it really paved the road for me. And during the pandemic allowed me to really focus on what is it that I really want to make an impact in? Like I'm doing this as a principal, but it's not necessarily fulfilling everything that I know. And I know that I can attribute to the world in a different way and, as much as I moved up quickly in sports, or not in sports, but because I was an athlete moving up the, the ranks cr- quickly in my career, mm-hmm. it attributes to who I was as, as an athlete. And that's why I was like, man, there are so many more athletes out there who are just like me that you know need to get to where they need to be in life. Because we have such a different drive and potential because of what we learned as an athlete. And so that's, that's why... I started rebranded athlete, and that's why I I truly believe in the work that I'm doing, and I know that there's you know this up and coming younger generation too that are filled with athletes with a different skill set than what even you and I have, and I can't wait to see what they're going to bring to the world.
0: Right. All right. Well, the, here's the most important question I have on this podcast right now because I saw it the other day, and I have to know how's the new haircut.
1: Oh, loving it, loving it, loving it. You know, I, been an athlete my whole life and just you know threw it back in the pony all the time and just never never took time for myself you forgot you're a woman <laughs> just, I did I did <laughs> you know and just loving the curls and and it all it all was about finding the right person you know to help me with that I, I found a curl coach didn't even know that that existed I know Some when I guys, saw that I was like <laughs> did, curling did she misspell that right curling she's taking up <laughs> curling the woman has that kind of time <laughs> yeah yeah no but the curls Girls are making their appearance more, which is good. Not a
0: girl. <laughs> All right. You're the best.
1: Oh, thanks, Matt. I, you know, always enjoy being on your podcast and. You know, you you've grown tremendously with this I and mean, just great conversations to keep having with people on here. So keep doing what you're doing. And uh, anytime you need me on for a third round, call me man. All I'll right. be there. Let's see what else
0: we can get in trouble with. Well, let me see if I'm gonna <laughs> yeah. call you in a day or two, just make sure the district hasn't found you. Uh,
1: yeah, exactly, exactly.
0: <laughs> you're the best. Have a great day. I'll talk to you soon. You too.
1: Take care, Matt. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye bye.
0: Thank you for listening to my conversation with Dr. Sarah Lepe please click the like button if you enjoyed the episode. You can always subscribe as well and you can find all of the shows